Tune in on the web and check us out at bayfm.org. Bayfm 99.9. So welcome to Belly. This is going to be on the Belly Show, which is a food show on Bayfm. We have your beautiful book here, Apple Blossom Pie. Can you tell us what memories or what thoughts and feelings that name evokes for you? It takes me back to a childhood that at the time was so normal, but as an adult you realised, well, I've come to realise how quite special it was because the days weren't long enough, there was always activity, discovery, and the fact is that we as a family, we did everything together and it was fun, even though it was at times quite a hard slog, but we you know, prepared the garden together, we picked all the produce together, we cooked together, and importantly, we ate together. So apple blossom pie is the special occasion dessert that seemed to crown off all these wonderful childhood experiences. Is that recipe in your book? Yes, it is. Oh, it's such a beautiful book. I mean, memories of an Australian kitchen. Are they just your memories or are they the memories of the seven generations before you? I've actually had the access to my great-grandmother's books and I've tried and it started out that I was just going to use the childhood recipes. But I also remember Nan cooking from, from me as a child. So some of her mother's recipes and I've actually traced it through and found this wonderful thread that's joined all the this lovely culinary patchwork quilt together. And the recipes, by saying they come from several generations, are in fact startlingly fresh as tomorrow. Because when you have recipes that have like beef shanks with sour cream and capers, that's a very modern combination. But a lot of the recipes are very modern because they actually used, they were very resourceful cooks, because they didn't have shops to go to, they were not, they couldn't be inspired by television programs or anything like that. So all the recipes are actually their creative combinations out of what they had on hand, what they grew and what they had in the pantry. And this, I think, is the actual magic of the book to highlight that country cooks did and could only cook by the seasons, but they're also wise enough to know that the seasonal produce had to be preserved. And, of course, nowadays, the young people are very interested in and restauranters are very interested in pickling and salting and smoking and all those elements. Well, I grew up where the meat was pickled, the meat was smoked, we had jam bottling time, we had sauce bottling time. So we had our seasons for preservation, as the Italians do. So I just found it fascinating that we weren't the only country farm that did this, that Australian cooks actually did, out of no choice, cook by the seasons, what they had available, and they had to come up with meals every day and had to be quite creative. It's such a great education for, as you're saying, like young people growing up in this era where everything sort of seems so disposable and so instant and so available is to re-educate people, a lot of people, into shopping this way or buying this way or growing this way for themselves and using their own imaginations. And I guess through books like this, this is where they can get help. Well, inspiration, I hope. Exactly. They can get inspiration because I think what you've said is a very, very important point. And that is for people now to be able to say, oh, look, I'd love to meet my friends, but they go out and have coffee and a muffin. And I'm hoping that this book book will inspire them that these recipes are all 
very, very achievable. They don't use exotic, expensive or esoteric ingredients, but they, but you can create very wonderful bakes, very lovely, you know, soups, stews, fish, festive, biscuits, whatever. And it's much better because you know the provenance. If you make something yourself, you know that it's real butter, real milk, real whatever that goes into it. So getting in a car and going to the supermarket and buying a packet of biscuits, if you look at the cost and time, fuel and the actual retail cost, I'm hoping that this book will, will say to golly, I can do that and look how quick it is to make. And you've got this wonderful batch of biscuits and the house smells beautiful and you know that you're feeding your family the best quality ingredients that you can. And that is a very, very important point. And it's, it makes for a sustainable future, I'm a sustainable food future as well. Well, country people had to respect, if they didn't respect the land, you just didn't get anything off the land. So you actually, uh, from a small tot, you are taught to respect water, land, animals, and that you appreciate what nature gives because it was never guaranteed it was going to be there forever and a day. So you learned to share, you learned to preserve, and you learned to fallow your soil and do all sorts of techniques which are very, very high on the list of people wanting to discover that lifestyle now. And so the book, I think, is timely because I've given stories alongside all these recipes and experiences so that people can be inspired and say, well, it was different then and must have been quite hard by comparison to today's because they didn't have all the uh, electrical gadgets to help them and most whisks were hand whisks. In fact, they all were hand whisks. So it's a part inspiration, it's a part history, but it's also, I think, proving that anyone can be as creative as a country cook. Speaking of whisks, you, there is a lovely quote from your mum. It's not the whisk, it's the wrist. So you have absolutely you have a lot of. Fa- oh, I mean, it's beautiful to read. You know, the little family connections through here. I mean, it is. It's really heartwarming. You've called it on. You know, family to sort of join in and be a part of this book as well, haven't you? Very much so, because expressions were always very, very important. And again, I think this is right across a lot of rural people. One of my favourite ones was from Nan, and she'd say, baking brings people home. And it's such a poignant, beautiful, sentimental, and yet it's a very real one. Can you imagine what it was like as a child coming home from school, going into the house, and you've got this smell of home baking? I can smell it now. Beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. So these are the smells of food. You you don't have to say, I care for my child, I love my child. The mere fact that a country woman cooked three meals a day and during harvesting time a lot more and, and, you know, through the different seasons. And they didn't have to say, well, I'm doing this because I love you. It was a part of being what you were. I've been asked many times about my parents or my family teaching me to cook, and I said, well, cooking was never a separate issue on the farm. Cooking was like learning to feed the chooks, gather the eggs, feed the, you know, the orphan lambs, dig the garden, do other little chores. Cooking was a normal part of growing up and it was bonding, but they started very early just getting us to watch um, mum cook and nan cook together. They cooked every Saturday together, a mother and daughter. It used to be said a lot in our family that cooking together is so bonding and it's the mortar in the bricks of family life and it's very very true because they had time to teach children to do they made time they didn't have a lot of time they did work outside on the farm and inside the house 
but they just put that in that children would learn to cook but it was through the magic of cooking it wasn't today you will have a lesson on how to make scones it was absolutely with the magic just but i remember sitting on a table as a tot watching eggs being broken and that to me to see an egg and then to see the contents of an egg and how that changed and even to know where the, egg, where the egg actually came from. I mean, Absolutely. So right from the beginning, you're connected to the provenance of your food. And so we saw life and we saw death, and but we, everything was an immense respect. Nothing was ever abused or taken for granted. Bay FM 99.9, the community voice of Byron and beyond. On air and online. I've dedicated the book to all Australian rural cooks because I think they've put down immense footprints where chefs and all sorts of other people have actually built their careers on because recipes are meant to be shared. They really are only a roadmap. That's why the written recipe to me is far more emotional and tells a much greater history because you can write your own notation take your own detour from the recipe and that becomes a part of your DNA. You can't do that with an app. Yes. You can't do that any other technologically way. I think this is where the romance and the emotion and the, and the treasure of having the written recipe is very important because it's a part of a family's history. It becomes your history and it just tells how people ate what they ate and people then make their own tweak to a recipe which is a wonderful thing to do and I, I'm always very very thankful when people take a recipe of mine and make it theirs with their own changes. In the same vein is that when you do that it's like you're using what you have that's available to you you know so it's what's the same in, thing isn't it? Yeah yeah it's what's in their pantry that's left. Because, and, see, they have their own language and yeah. you make it your language and then it becomes a part of your um, history and then you pass it down. And to have recipes that have passed down, I mean, I'm fascinated by, by one recipe which I came across, and that was in my great-grandmother's cookbook, was inside-out scones. And that's where scones are actually baked. You, you cut two rounds out of the dough, and you put one on top of the other, join together a bit of milk, and the top layer has a little hollow cut out of it, and that's filled with jam and then baked off. So you've got scones that are already filled with jam when they come out of the oven. What a great idea. Now, how did my great-grandmother think of doing that? Isn't it fascinating? What was it like with you growing up and friends coming over or you going over to their homes and sort of seeing a very different life? I mean, was it a lot of rural sort of farmed children? Well, well, people cooked differently. We had a very, very strong uh, food culture, but all the the local kids went to the, you know, went to the local tiny state school. We were were interesting that we had to create our own school gardens. Now, we all came from farms where we had our own gardens, but still at school, it was reinforced. You still had to have your own school garden, and we were also taught to prune and all sorts of things at school. We were surrounded by this thing of food, of what to do with it, and never, ever to waste it. And some of the traditions on our family were, if we were doing, say, the meat season where we were going to pickle something or smoke something, because my nana had a big smoking chimney in her homestead kitchen, and that was the season we did it. So we all knew, all hands were on deck. Mm -hmm. So all our lives were based around the seasons on the farm of what we were going to do, what we're going to preserve, what we were going to harvest, 
what we were going to plant. And even I've got a lovely story in there about potatoes because we had a very large potato patch. They were scuffled, which is a lovely old word, because you had about four acres of potatoes. So you'd get this, there was always one horse and a lovely old Clydesdale, a very gentle beast, who'd plod astride the row with Dad behind it with a scoop thing that would just unearth in the very soft chocolate brown soil. We would come behind as children and bag them up. Now, everybody did something towards something. And that was, you just grew up knowing so much about food and so much about the provenance of food. But we also knew that the waste of any description was never, ever tolerated. And there was always a use for everything. Mum used to take onion peels and brown them in the meat dish before she made gravy and things like Mm -hmm. that. Potatoes, if they were thickly peeled, would be rinsed and just quickly cooked in an oven-like you know, big pieces of chip things or with a bit of salt. So everything was used. And it's something that I think we've lost to that. A couple of generations where waste, oh, as you said at the beginning of our chat, everything seems to be disposable or dispensable. So we throw that out, get something new. And on the farm, you didn't because, A, you didn't have the money to be able to go and replenish everything, but you're relying on what you took from the soil. And And that was very, very important. Yeah, I mean, these are life lessons, aren't they, that really shape a person for the better. I mean, just the respect for what you have, for what the land can provide you and also what you can give back to it as well. I mean, you know, replenishing soil. And I'm interested in the potato patch story because I did read about that and that you had sort of different sections of the potato patch. Some of them were for animals on the farm and others were for... Absolutely. Yeah, but again, as the potatoes... Because the seed potatoes were always carefully kept aside and they were cut, you know, with the eyes where they start to sprout. And these were the special ones. We had four different varieties. The old potatoes had gone past, the, they were boiled up in a big drum and they were mashed for, for the piggery and also for the poultry. So everything had a use. And bags of potato were often given away to, to people who perhaps were share farmers or had large families or were not able to grow a lot of their own produce. So the community spirit of sharing was very, very, very strong. Everyone cared for everybody else as much as they possibly could. And, and this, this community spirit, of course, was in abundance during harvesting because people would pitch in. But now even that's changed because of, of rules for health and safety and so forth. In those days, it was very much a community spirit so that everybody put in, everybody took out and everybody respected and shared. Lovely principles of life. Is farming still a a huge part in your family? Oh, yes, yes. What's happened to the original farm? Is is that still there? No, no, it's still in the family. Great, yes. Still in the family. But there are a lot of country people all over Australia. There's farms stay in the families as long as there's someone to take it over and these days luckily I mean in the several generations back it was only the male who was expected to take over but we've got some wonderful properties in Australia being run by the by the women in the family it's really is that's changed which is what which is wonderful because it's kept the lineage has kept the emotion has kept the whole history intact which I think is a lovely lovely thing if that can be achieved it's much more mechanized of course the harvesting is all done mechanically now because I, I do tell stories in Apple Blossom Pie that long after I was living in a big city that I used to go home always for the harvesting period and I'd become the cook because you'd start off at 6 o'clock in the morning for the harvesters with the cooked breakfast, meat, of course. 
then you'd have 9 to 9.30 for morning tea. 12 o'clock was the main meal, that's the hot meal. 3 o'clock was the afternoon tea. 6 o'clock was early supper. And the last one went out the paddocks at about 10 o'clock at night. And that was just the harvesters, and so wow. you still had the family to feed. It, you know, that was considered normal. And you wrap everything up in big towels and take them out, or big thermoses of soup, so that the tractor didn't stop, or the harvester or combined didn't stop. You know, men would take their turn to come and sit behind, out of the wind, and sit there and um, at the last meal of the night and just have some hot soup. They ate heartily, and they were great arbiters of taste because they knew what good basic food was, and they ate lots of it. Bay FM 99.9. Coming to you live from the heart of town. What was your first move away when you actually left the farm? How, how old were you? And, and was it something, did you want to go and experience something totally different? Or? Well, no, I actually continued my, my life in food and I actually then uh, became trained to be a chef. So I've stayed in food all my life that I worked overseas, but I've always come back and I've worked in, in the food industry and as a food writer and working with children and training young apprentices. I've done that all my professional life. So I've never been away from food. And I think the thing that has held me in good stead are the values, the the principles, and everything that you learn, literally knee-high, stays with you for life. If those values are intact then, that's very, very important. Because now I can open my refrigerator door at night and just look in there and it's kind of like desperation dining, but I know if all else fails, I can have soup very quickly. And this is just second nature to what you grew up doing. It's like making scones. And I do tell the, I tell the story in Apple Blossom Pie. As soon as you heard the ute rattle over the cattle pit, 12 minutes later, a batch of hot scones was on the table because you were making them at a very young age. You're just following in the shadow of, of family cooks just comes so naturally, doesn't it, now? I think it does. I, I think the thing that it taught me as a child that we were encouraged in the kitchen and even when I had flour up to my shoulders and the floor was covered in flour and I was a little, little tiny thing making these scones and they they cooked like rocks. And my, <laughs> my, they, they were, they were like little boulders. <laughs> And my nan would put them on a, on a tray and she'd have a pretty plate and my grandfather would come in and I know he'd probably say, oh, no, not this again. <laughs> and he'd sit there and he'd say, these are the most beautiful scones I have ever eaten. Aww. As a child, that was good enough, you know, because there were no other distractions. you think, oh, that was great. And as long as you pleased your parents and your grandparents and people like that, because there were so many things to do, you know, rob the bees with your dad, collect the eggs, pull the carrots sit in the garden and pod peas, all those things. They were exciting things to do because we had family from a very early age who turned it into some sort of magic. Even with my food writing, I have a weekly column and I have a reputation of making it so simple. And I don't say anything like, this is the fastest you'll ever make, but they know that the, that the recipes, they look at it and it could be you know, like everything in one bowl. And readers will send me photos of their children cooking those recipes. And I think that is just so warming. And and I feel a sense of achievement when those small things happen because I'm trying to inspire people with the book 
that I was inspired at a very early age or immersed in food at a very early age in the most natural, no fuss, just get on and do it sort of environment. And that, I think, is the key. Just have a go. Just have a go. Definitely. And this book is, is very inspiring for anybody to have a go. We're talking about, you know, seasonal eating and stuff. Seasonal at the moment. What are some springtime favourites that are coming from the book? Well, it's all seasons in the book, all seasons, but there's a beautiful recipe in there called Soup from a Spring Vegetable Garden. And the titles are quite evocative, and I've listed them in not in the, the usual way, but I've got the dairy, the piggery, the herd, the garden, the orchard, and I've actually broken it up so that people can go through and they know exactly what they want to look at first. But I think there's so much in that book for so many people. It's a big book. It's it's crammed with recipes that are so well tested through <laughs> through the practiced hand of family cooks. I think people will be surprised. They'll discover nostalgic ones, such as monkeys' faces, but they'll also discover recipes which they will find perhaps it's a little hard to believe that come from several generations of country cooks. Could you elaborate on monkeys' faces, please? Monkey's face was a little biscuit that was cut out. You have a plain biscuit on the bottom. And then you cut out little holes, three little holes from the top biscuit, which represented the, the mouth and the eyes of the monkey. And you brushed the top one with uh, egg white and put some coconut on so it looked like the fur of the monkey. And you Ooh. joined them together with jam so that you've got the red eyes of the monkey and the, and the big mouth of the monkey. They're oh, gorgeous And biscuits. the hairy and face. People, it's, it's interesting. I don't remember when I last saw this recipe and I put it in because that was a biscuit we used to make as children. Yeah. People say, oh, I remember that and I've never been able to get a recipe. So here it is. Here it is. What's your favourite thing about, or well, your favourite part about writing a book and putting a book like this together? I think the release of emotion that you don't realise it's there until you tread lightly back over your memories and some of them hit you so strongly and there were poignant moments and there were sad moments and but in the end it's joyful it's a collection of joy and I think that was the the element that struck me most and the strongest yes I think emotional because of the uh, how hard it must have been for my mum and her mother at times then the unbridled joy that I recollect as a child and I think the freedom of as a child too is something that we don't quite have enough of today. And do you think each time somebody makes a recipe or, or you make them yourself that you're actually bringing a, sort of almost a part of that person back to life again through you know the, the cooking? I think people remain with us through music, art, food, lots of things and in this book, I think it is definitely through food with a little bit of music. My two favourite things, apart from people to share it with. Absolutely. We are going to be giving this book away. It is really such a joy and, and such an honour to give something away that really means so much. You've got other books as well, haven't you? Yes, one was called Cook, Recipes, Stories and Wisdom. I've also done a children's cookbook many years ago and I've collaborated on recipes my mother taught me, which, which I wrote the forward to. Yes, I have been writing, but I've been writing recipes for oh, for many years for my weekly column. So you can find that in the Herald Sun. The Herald Sun, yes, yes. yes. I would love to hear people's feedback if they just enjoy the book and if they get just 
a little bit of pleasure out of it and it inspires them to get into the kitchen and have a go. I would be thrilled. Thank you so much. You've inspired me totally and I know that you're going to inspire all of our listeners. Wonderful, Rachel. It's been a great, great pleasure chatting with you and thank you so much for having me on your program. My pleasure. You stay warm down there. (laughs) I'm trying to. Still spreading the love 24-7. Bay FM 99.9.